G'day folks, my name's Matt Eels and I'm from Cinema Australia. Uh, we're an online publication dedicated to the support and promotion of Australian-made films through independent news, reviews, features and uh, interviews. Uh, we recently had the pleasure of chatting with legendary Australian film producer Richard Brennan, who's worked on a bunch of amazing Australian films like uh, Mad Dog Morgan, Newsfront and The Last Goodbye. Uh, he also worked on Long Weekend, which is screening as part of Revelation Perth International Film Festival's Australian Revelations, uh, which is a monthly event screening Australian films at the Backlot in Perth. Uh, if you're a fan of Australian films, then uh, you'll definitely find some of Richard's stories quite interesting. I, I know that I definitely did. Uh, so enjoy it. Are, are you surprised when people tell you they want to screen Long Weekend? Uh, no, because it is beca- it's a funny thing. When the film opened uh, in Australia, it attracted no interest at all. It was lucky to limp through two weeks. And in those days, uh, we got a, we filmmakers got a lot of support from the Australian Film Commission at Cannes. Mm. So about six months after I was at Cannes, I had four. I was there with Jimmy Blacksmith. I was there with Newsfront. I was there with the love letters from Trailbro Road, and I was there with Long Weekend. Mm. And the biggest seller of all of them, and in fact of any Australian film by a long way, was Long Weekend. I was I was amazed. Uh, everybody wanted it. Yeah. Then it started winning prizes at overseas festivals, at Sitges, at Avorios, at Paris, at Madrid, in Madrid. And I sold it and sold it and sold it for 20 years, or 30 years or something, overseas. And then, at the period of the sort of Oz, interest in Ozploitation films, yeah. Quentin Tarantino waxed very lyrical about, in particular, Patrick and Long Weekend. Yeah. And uh, that just gave it another lease of life. In fact, the film's actually been remade. Um, So, yeah, not something I pictured happening in 1977 or 1978, but it's turned out to be, you know, have a very, very long life. That's great. So when you took those four films over to Cannes, did you expect uh, Long Weekend to be the most popular? I mean, uh, news Uh, news from... In fact, I, betraying my inexperience, it was the second time I'd been to Cannes, when somebody got up and walked out of it after 10 minutes, I felt impatient and chased after him and asked why he was leaving me, said, I have already decided to buy it, which he did. (laughs) Wow, that's (laughs) incredible. Um, So if we go back to the very beginning, you started uh, your career as a director, right? Yes, yes, and as a university student, I worked as a production assistant with Bruce Burrisford on a short film called The Devil to Pay. Then I directed a short film called The Upturned Face, which is an adaptation of a short story by Stephen Crane, who wrote The Red Badge of Courage. That was 1961, and between 1962 and 1964, I wrote and produced and directed a short feature called Lead Me or Stable. And I worked as a production assistant and became a director at the ABC, and I worked as production assistant and a production manager at Film Australia leading up till 1970 when I started as a producer. Right. So so when did you when did you realise to yourself, I want to stop uh, as a director and, and go into producing? I, <laughs> the reason that I became a producer was that a group of eight of us applied as a collective uh, 
after the Experimental Film Fund, we were the first film finance. It was a film called All Forever Hold Your Peace, yeah. uh, uh, which was a documentary about the moratorium in May 1970. Uh, so we applied as a collective, but it, they were only going to fund a film that had a producer. Yeah. There were, as I said, times there were eight of us. I was the best organised. I did not want to be a producer under any circumstances. I really disliked authority and um, I thought this, you know, either, either I was going to produce it or the film was not going to be made because nobody else was competent to or willing to do it yeah. and I was you know, good at the organisational side of things. I thought I will do this just once. Then Peter Weir asked me, again, the Experimental Film Fund, if I would act as producer on a film called Homestale mm. that, that eventually won a lot of prizes. Mm. And then I, what I did produce of Tom Cowan on The Office Picnic. And I think about the fourth time this happened, which was Tom again with a film called Promised Woman, <clears throat> I realised that I liked doing this work and that I was far better producer than I'd ever been a director. Wow. So that's how all that happened. Wow. <laughs> uh, the right decision, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you Thank go about? Sure how did you go about finding work as a young producer in in the early seventies? You know, were you offered a lot of producing gigs, or were you actively I looking for them? Basically, it was me or Alan Jim McElroy. <laughs> uh, there weren't. There were hardly any other producers around. Yeah. I started producing before Tony Buckley and. Before anyone except Helen Jim, really. Mm. I mean, yes, Philip Adams was the producer on Barry McKenzie. I was the production manager. But Philip did very few films. Mm. Um, and uh, there were lots of people, you know, looking to do their first... I did an awful lot of films with first-time filmmakers. Mm. I, I mean, Devil to Pay... Sorry, not Devil to Pay. Barry McKenzie was Bruce Beresford's first feature. Mm. Uh, Hamsdale was a short feature for Peter Weir. Uh, Office Picnic was Tom Cowan's first feature. Uh, oh, God, I think everything I did after that. Promised Woman, The Removeless was Tom Jeffrey's first feature. Uh, the Great McCarthy was David Baker's first feature. The Trespasses was John Dargan's first feature. So was, so, it, so was that intentional on your behalf? Did you want to produce no, first time? People... Uh, I, I was very good at bringing films in on budget, mm, mm. Uh, and I don't know. Um, a lot of pe- a lot of people approached me. Uh, so uh, you worked on Mad Dog Morgan, which is probably more famous yes, for did. for Dennis Hopper's uh, behind the scenes antics than anything else. What are some of your memories working with the crew of that film, who uh, producer Jeremy Thomas described as being very irresponsible? Jeremy's. I look. I'm very fond of Jeremy, but the stories have got more and more exaggerated as time went went by. Really, the, we finished the film a very little amount over budget and not at all over schedule. This is somehow meant to be some sort of coincidence. He had never produced a film. Uh, Philippe had never directed a feature. Uh, somehow or another, this crew who, who are now, <laughs> I read, having beer for breakfast. No. Den- Dennis was Dennis is well, sorry, he's dead now. Dennis yeah. was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and several of the crew had big alcohol problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, they were they were not allowed to drink during 
during the day. Right. And, um, yeah, those stories have got wilder and wilder and wilder. Wow. That, that, that's really interesting because uh, they seem to have based a lot of uh, not-quite-Hollywood around those wild stories, you know? Yeah. Mm. Well, they're more, they're more colourful. I mean, I, um, I got interviewed for the book about Mad Dog Morgan that came out recently, and uh, that's a story that Philippe Mora had told about leading a one-man demonstration against a hotel that had refused to allow David Gulpilil to come in because he was Aboriginal. Well, that is absolute nonsense. I mean, there wasn't any need to demonstrate because there was no way in the world they were going to bar members of the film crew from their wow. hotel, from which they were getting very good business. Yeah. But... Um, Philippe's story is more enticing. <laughs> <laughs> Sells more copies I too, mean, I guess. You know, Jeremy also has uh, Philippe, uh, uh, sorry, not Philippe, Dennis being deported. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that um, not the case? It certainly was not. In fact, we had another day's filming to do. The opening of the film in, in Bear Island was shot the Monday after. I am in a position of authority on this. I am one of the poor people who was in the car with Dennis that day. Uh-huh. I mean, the cast has grown and grown. Philippe's mother's in the car with him these days. But yeah. back then it was me, the first assistant, the second assistant, Dennis and his sidekick, Sachima de mm. la Monitor. Mm. Uh, and uh, then you went on to join the crew of Newsfront as an associate producer. Did you ever find yourself overwhelmed working on such a large uh, production? It was an enormous... Look, it was wonderful film to work on, but it was... Uh, 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 well, I'd worked on Jimmy Blacksmith before that, and that was, mm. that was bigger. Yeah. But, oh, right. um, yeah, Newsfront was awfully daunting. We had no idea how we were going to do the floods right up to... I think we might have actually started shooting and still not known how we were going to do it. And, uh, yeah, logistics... I mean, we had not all that much money. We had half a million bucks and an awful lot to do and a huge cast and tremendous logistical problems recreating the 40s and 50s. Mm. Um, I don't know. It all seemed to be one day at a time and somehow we... We got through, and it's. I, I always really believed in the film while we were doing it, yeah. and um, it came out very well. Uh, so, so tell me about the floods. Uh, it was shot in the Narrabeen Lakes. It was David Elphick who, who came up with the idea of using speedboats to generate, you know, big sort of rushing water, mm. and. Um, uh, yeah, but, but most of the flood scenes were shot in a small area of Narrabeen Lakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, did you much? Did you uh, have much time with the the wonderful and gorgeous and uh, beautiful Wendy Hughes? Yeah, I work with Wendy on Newsfront and on a telly movie called I Can't Get Started. I mm. yeah, really uh, very very fond of Wendy. I thought she was a terrific person and. Uh, great, great fun, and great to be around. And and what about uh, on set uh, as an actress? Oh, she was just terrific. No, mm. no trouble at all. Mm. Um. So, so when did you first come across uh, Long Weekend, and uh, and when did you know that you wanted to be a part of it? Because at first, it must have seemed like quite a wild concept. Ah, uh, look, right away, actually, I got two scripts, neither from both of which were by Everett Torrage. 
Uh, one was Long Weekend and one was Patrick. Mm. And they both came to me from the... Colin Eggleston sent me Long Weekend. I'd never met Colin. And Richard uh, Franklin, whom I knew a little bit, sent me Patrick. And eventually, for one reason or another, I didn't end up doing Patrick. Uh, but I, th I looked at and I thought, this is a guy I had never heard of, Everett DeRoach. Not one but two scripts, not likely to like either, I suppose. I may as well start somewhere. <laughs> and I thought they were both fantastic. Wow. But, uh, you know, it was, again, how the hell were we going to do it? Mm -hmm. uh, I worked, that was for the second time with Vince Monton, the cameraman, who was also the cameraman on Newsfront, but I had worked with him on John Dygan's first feature, The Trespasses, and he was an enormous, uh, enormous part of the production. In fact, it was Vince's idea that we shoot widescreen, and I think was one of the most, in those days, one a very, very distinctive thing. Nobody shot horror films on widescreen. Mm. In fact, on the other side of the world, um, they were doing uh, Halloween. Right. I'd never heard of, well, I might have heard of John Carpenter. I'd probably seen Escape from Precinct 13, but mm. I had no idea what his next film was or <laughs> that they were planning to shoot. It was just, it was going to be, look a lot more distinctive that way. Yeah. And the steady cam system had just been, I think, used in Rocky, but it had not been used in any film in Australia. We were the, we were the first, and Jimmy Blacksmith, which was a couple of months later, was the second. Wow, that, that's very interesting. Uh, it's filmed mostly outdoors. What, what was the shoot like? It's virtually entirely outdoors. Yeah. Well, we were very fortunate with the weather. It would be one of the great Australian financial disasters if it <laughs> rained, because... Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't. Yeah. So, so no, we, there's a scene in a tent, and you know, we we shot one night in a garage. The car interiors, the van interiors, when they're driving through the night. Mm. Uh, I mean, those parts of them that weren't actually shot at night mm. uh, on roads. And uh, yeah, everything else is exterior. Well, we were just very, very fortunate. That's incredible. But it would have been one of the great managerial follies if <laughs> we'd had three weeks of rain, as happens to people. <laughs> Did you have a backup plan? Well, no. What what, what else could we do? Mm -hmm. Shoot against a blue cyclorama or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how close uh, were you to the to the leads, Bryony and uh, John? I'd worked with Bryony on the trespasses, but John and I had a long history. We did... Um, we worked together on The Removalists, on Mad Dog Morgan, on Death Cheaters. I think Long Weekend was the fourth film we did together. We eventually did six. Mm. We did a 50-minute film called Last Breakfast in Paradise mm. and a telly movie called Double Skulls. And yeah, I was very close to John, yeah. Wow, okay. Um, uh, I've got a couple more questions for you. H how much has the Australian landscape, uh, filmmaking landscape changed over the last 40 years of your career? You know, what are some of the big things that you've uh, noticed? Well, it, it was a lot simpler to make a film. When I started, well, Barry McKenzie was entirely funded by the Australian Film Development Corporation. Shortly afterwards, if you could get a distributor in for about 50000 if you could get a pre-sale to television for about 50000 you would get the rest of the money from the Australian Film Commission and by about 1976, seven, one of the one of the state bodies that sprung up, like the New South Wales Film Corporation and 
Film Vic and the South Australian Film Corporation. That was easy, three or four people. I mean, now you're getting funds from, what, 12, 15 different sources, all, all of whom are people who want to have some say in how the film is made. I mean, very, very comp- much more complex these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so I've got one last question. Uh, one, And I, I'm kind of asking this personally because I'm such a big fan of the film, uh, The Last Goodbye yeah. which uh, was one of my favourite films of last year and of the last couple I'm of years really. to hear that. Yeah, so how did you get involved with uh, Samantha on that one? Um, Samantha is my stepdaughter Oh, wow! And I had produced a short film that she uh, directed that got into Trockfest called All Shook Up, I think that might have been 2001, 2002 yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was thrilled to be asked to be involved. Mm. I, di- I didn't do very much on it, actually. It's more a titular thing right. that I've got a credit on it. But, yep. um, uh, yeah, I, um, in fact, I'm working on a project with her at the moment. Though she's in L.A., she's some distance away. Right. And, and is that an... Do you know, do you know Sam? Uh, I've spoken to her a few times uh, via email, and I met her when she was in Perth to uh, screen the film, yeah. Oh, we probably met one another then too, because I came over to Perth with her. Did you really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look, neither of us remembers. Yes. Yeah. You and me, but I'm, I think it's highly likely that we said hello to one another. Wow, that's incredible. Okay. So, uh, what's the project that you're working on together now? Then is that Australian as well, the, or? It's called The Train to Paris, and it's an adaptation of a uh, a novel by a young Australian novelist. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to see it. She's an incredible director. She's, uh, you know, she... she um, Isn't she terrific? She, yeah. she is, yeah. Um, you know, her film was very simple and it, it wasn't overcomplicated. It was just what it was, which is beautiful to watch sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's very heartening, Matt. Thanks yeah. very much for that. So there you go, folks. That was our interview with uh, Richard Brennan. Uh, if you want to catch a Long Weekend, you can see it on Monday night at the Backlot Perth. Uh, for ticket details, head to cinemaaustralia.com.au.